are you ready? Part of the news is what happened after the fight. So, 
you and I, we said the pay-per-view was going to be okay. We thought that the uh, Lucas Matisse fight against uh, Taylor would be good. I was shocked by the result in that. I mean, I, I picked Matisse to win by knockout. I didn't think he would do it that early. What were your thoughts on that, Bragg? No, I, I think you and I both agreed we thought it would be a knockout in the middle of the late rounds. And, and uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked. It's almost like uh, just getting warmed up, just getting going well, and then the fight was over. So uh, on to the main event at that point. Absolutely. And then um, also, you know, you had uh, David Lemieux. It looked like he was going to blow through his opponent and then ended up going all 12 rounds, but he got the win. We had that right. We also had uh, Joshua Parker winning his fight. He did. We had that. But the one that we got wrong, the only one we got wrong, was the upset on Friday Night Fights is Yoriokas Gamboa just doesn't look the same, was hit with some big shots and dropped, and they he quit on his stool in the seventh round of that fight. Um, having trouble remembering his opponent's name, that's how sure he was a 20-to-1 favorite brag that night. Yeah, absolutely and, shocking. And, you know, for somebody like Gambora, who's who's been a great fighter, who, you know, we honestly thought he was it was going to be another, uh, you know, a decent showing for him, should be a decent fight, but we didn't have any doubts that he would win. We've talked about it before. Robinson Castellanos was guy yeah, to beat him. I, yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things we've talked about before. When your chin goes, as a fighter, when when your body gives up on you, that that's it. There's no more. And it honestly looked like Gamboa. It looked like his body. He, he had. It felt like looked like he was trying, and he had the will, and he just could not get going. Could not go any further. And it was uh, it was a little upsetting, a little sad to see, honestly. Yeah, I was I was shocked because I mean, look at his resume and some of the fighters he's been in with: Orlando Salido, George C. Uh, Solis, Ponce de Leon, Terrence Crawford, of course, who he actually dropped Crawford, and then Crawford got up and dropped him and knocked him out. Um, that was his last loss. He won three fights in a row, and again, the 20-to-1 odds, you know, him looking to get back into the mix at title level, and Robinson Castellanos had different <laughs> he had different plans that night, and it worked out really well for him. I think it's um, – I don't this is what I thought when I was watching it, but I don't want to see Gamboa fight again. No, uh, he looks done. I mean, you just talked about it. And, and there's no shame whatsoever in the losing to Terrence Crawford at this point. Uh, it was a great back-and-forth fight. He ended up coming on, on the short end of the stick. Looked like he had got the, the ship righted again. And, again, it, it, it looked like he was just done. And, again, very sad, very upsetting to see. It's the world of boxing. We know how it is. We know how a fighter's uh, heart and soul is. Uh, it's very good chance we will see him back again. I'm like you. It's, he has something else to prove to me. Uh, I've seen all the Gamboa I need to see. Uh, you know, he sh- I think at this point he should ride off into the sunset and look at maybe doing some uh, some training, some analyst work, whatever his desire is. But uh, if that's the best he's got left, then he's done. Uh, yeah, I, uh, if he's going to do analysts of work, it's going to be in Mexico or Puerto Rico because the guy doesn't speak English. And uh, But, yeah, I don't, I don't want to see him. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest markets for boxing in the world, I would say. But he's just not going to be on TV in the U.S. anytime soon. Moving on, main event of the evening. It was built as the battle for the future of Mexico, 50-2, and two, Chavez Jr., son of a legend, against 48-1, and one, only loss coming to May- Mayweather, lineal middleweight champion Canelo Alvarez, moving up four and a half pounds to foreign land. A lot of things surprised me, Greg. You and I didn't talk after the weigh-in or, you know, really over the weekend. I, we, we communicated on Twitter a few times, but, you know, we both have families, lives, that stuff going on. But before, when we said on Wednesday, I believe we said uh, what, nine 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. was the cutoff. No, no. After the weigh-in, I don't think either one of us was going to change our pick. How surprised were you? How surprised were you that Chavez actually made weight, number one? And number two, do you think that that was a mistake, that he should have just paid the, the couple million and came in as the bigger man so that maybe he would have had a shot in the fight because – I'll be honest, he got whitewashed. I had it 12 rounds to zero. Yeah, I did too. He he got shut out in that fight. And as we were talking right before we went on the air, uh, talking about a perfect game, Canelo pitched about as close, as perfect of a game as you're ever going to see in a boxing ring. Uh, he completely shut him out. Yeah, the weigh-ins were – they were interesting. Uh, when he, he walked up, it, you could tell he was just he, – he just wasn't – 100%. He was he was drained. You know, looking back in hindsight, I'm sure he was trying to do the right thing. It felt like, you know what, I need to make this weight, all things considered. But, yeah, give up the millions and take your shot there because he had no shot. Like you said, <laughs> I think we could have set the, uh, the deadline as 8 o'clock on Friday night, and it would have been fine because we weren't changing our mind at that point. Uh, just an impressive – showing for Canelo Alvarez. And I will ask you this. Was it more impressive for Canelo or was it just more disappointing for Chavez Jr.? I thought it was more disappointing for Chavez Jr. because of the fact that this guy had his dad there, all the all Mexican support and the fans. They put up with, you know, throughout the years, this guy not training hard enough, the the – the drug abuse, even though it's only pot, like, let's be honest. But, you know, you do that when you're training for the middleweight championship for the world, the not, you know, eating, eating himself out of a division. So they put up with a lot of things because he's the son of a legend. And also because there's a lot of pressure with being the, the son of a legend. Um, but at the same time, I think Canelo looked brilliant. I think, he showed that uh, I was worried a little bit when I saw them get into the ring that maybe he was going to be too muscular and maybe he wasn't going to, you know, that he was going to try to stand toe-to-toe, but I thought he boxed beautifully. And I've been saying it since, it since we picked against him, both of us, when he fought Mayweather, that I just believe that the fight with Mayweather did so much for him in that loss. He learned, you know, he learned – how footwork and defense can turn into offense if you do it the right way and not to waste energy. And that's why I thought, I thought Canelo 
was making so many statements in that fight, especially to the man that was singing, sitting ringside, Triple G, by not standing, I mean, by not taking the stool once during the entire 12-round fight and standing in the corner, kind of like, hey, this is like sparring for me. Me and you are going to do it for real. What did you think about that statement from Canelo? Uh, I loved it. I, I thought it was a fantastic statement to make. I thought he uh, he knew what he was doing. And once he got in and probably after the first couple of rounds, he realized, you know what, I've, I've got this fight in the bag. Uh, I, you know, he definitely was able to uh, look ahead a little bit. And we'll talk about that in a second. I love what you said about how different Canelo looks or has looked since he lost to Mayweather. We talk about fighters all the time giving boxing lessons, which is what Canelo, we could call it, that's what Canelo did Saturday night. Mayweather, we said at the time, he he gave Canelo a boxing lesson that night. But what a lot of fighters don't do is learn from that boxing lesson, take take hints or take tips from that boxing lesson that's being taught to them inside that ring. Canelo has done that. Canelo is a different fighter. He is a better fighter than he was when he stepped into the ring with Floyd Mayweather. And it's, it, it's obvious to anyone who knows the sport. You can see Canelo is, has improved so much, and he is using what he learned in that fight and what he has learned since to become better and better and better. And I, for one, you know, I, I'm a Canelo fan. I love watching him fight. Uh, he's a fantastic fighter, but just his maturity has maybe become a fan of him and his, uh, his personality and his personal being. Uh, he really has done everything right in boxing, where you talk about Chavez Jr., had the issues with drug. Yeah, it's just pot, but still, you've got a responsibility as a professional fighter training for fights, uh, the diet. Uh, you see these fighters getting busted for the, uh, this, whether it be domestic violence, whether it be drugs, whether it be just getting in trouble as it is. Canelo, Canelo or even look at Floyd Mayweather, who is always out there, always on social media, flaunting, flaunting what he's got, you know, He's money. He is showtime. He is money. Canelo does everything right for the sport of boxing. He does everything right for himself. The man is a machine, and he's getting better. He's only going to get better. And his next fight is one that is, is, is I'm so excited it got made because it's the fight. It is the fight that can be made right now. And I, for one, cannot wait. Of course, my colleague is referring to what happened after the fight. Triple G entering the ring, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions all ready with a date, a contract, ready to go. September 16th, Mexican Independence Day. We don't know if it will be at the MGM Grand or hopefully it will be at Jerry's World in Cowboy Stadium in front of 100,000, but it's the fight that everyone's been waiting for. Not McGregor Mayweather, folks. We're talking about a real prize fight. Con- I mean, uh, Canelo Alvarez, Triple G for the middleweight championship of the world. It doesn't get bigger than that. Even Absolutely saying it gives, huge. It, even saying it gives me goosebumps just to think about 
the, the, exactly. the build up to the fight, the <laughs> anticipation. But I, I, do, I did want to comment on on some of the stuff you said before we get into the September fight. Doesn't Canelo's young career, and I mean, he is 49 and one, one draw. So he's fought 51 times. So we, but, but remember he turned pro at 15. So he is young. He's 20, 25 years old, 26 years old. Doesn't he remind you of Juan Manuel Marquez with his professionalism and Julio Cesar senior to me, I feel like Canelo is the son that Julio Cesar uh, senior. Wanted. I'm going to be honest. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, you know, it's a good point because those two guys, Marquez and Chavez senior, they always held themselves and, and conducted themselves at such high esteem they, they knew, they realized, you know, they were not above the sport. They were gentlemen uh, outside the ring, inside the ring. They did what they had to do. Uh, never never really any controversy, never really any, uh, you know, there was a little bit of showboating, but, you know, the point is that, you know, they, there was respect. They had a lot of respect for the sport. They had a lot of respect for the opponents and a lot of respect for the fans. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Canelo is a throwback to those guys. Uh, salt in the wound of Chavez Jr. for you saying that. I mean, that's that, that was that was pretty big. Damn, but uh, yeah, Canelo, he is. If you want, if you wanted to build a, a, a prototypical boxer right now, and fit, and you wanted to, to get the best physically, mentally, and socially, Canelo Alvarez might be the guy that you would build. And or triple or, 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 or Triple G as well. Um, I say Canelo because he is a little more – he has been a little more marketable, uh, especially in the United States and all that. But uh, I will say I, this. We talked about, we, we talked about how, um, you know, they, uh, De La Hoya, Triple G came into that ring. Uh, there are a few moments, especially in boxing. In wrestling, they call it a markout moment when – Something happens that you're kind of surprised for. You may be looking for it, and just you just absolutely go crazy. Yeah, uh, you know, cheer, scream, yell, huge, huge pop. That was a markout moment for boxing. To walk, see those guys walk into that ring, to see those guys face off like they did, uh, you know, as t- you know, for that instance, that to me, like you said, goosebumps. Um, that 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 was it. That was a, as a boxing fan, that was all you've wanted to see for years. We're getting it September 16th. Holy shit, man. I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I'll go back and, and say that I don't think it was a good moment. I think it was, and I put it on our Twitter page. I think it was the greatest marketing ploy in boxing history. You had a built in crowd and pay-per-view crowd that paid $70 to see a fight that didn't live up to the hype, and right before they can talk shit about what happened or feel down that they bought the fight, you roll out the biggest fight in boxing, and you have the combatants in the ring staring each other down. Finally, you just instantly made this fight a $2 million buy pay-per-view fight. I'm going to say it right now. I don't think they'll make the same money that Pacquiao Mayweather did because of how many years 
that took. But this is a bigger fight. This is a better fight. When these two guys get into the ring on September 16th, if you're not watching it, then you are missing out on maybe what's going to be the best action boxing fight of the 21st century. We've talked about it a lot the last uh, few months, talked about how we're getting, you know, we got it to Kovalov Award, uh, how we're getting fighters in their prime, undefeated fighters in their prime, Mm -hmm. facing off against each other and how great of a time for boxing as it is. You've got arguably the two best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Fighting each other, not just undefeated fighters in their prime, and of course Canelo's not undefeated, but you've got not only do you have the two best in their division, you've got arguably the two best in the world, pound for pound, fighting each other. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It, you're right. It doesn't get any be- bigger and better than this. So, saying that now, because after the fight, oh, oh yeah, by the way. Canelo Alvarez won a 12-round unanimous decision. But holy cow, we've got this fight coming up September 16th. The transition was beautiful. And I don't think it could have worked any better. Now, I'll ask you this. You mentioned the biggest fight that could be made. Does this put pressure on the McGregor and Mayweather camp to get a bigger fight socially done? Um, Conor McGregor had his son was born, Conor Jack McGregor. He was born on Friday, I believe. And that was kind of what Dana White was saying was the holdup was was that McGregor wanted to wait till his son was born to make sure that there was no complications, that his wife was okay and everything like that. And then he told Dana to go make the fight. However, by waiting that long, the date that they wanted, September 16th, was taken by Triple G against Canelo in what real fight fans would see as a better fight than watching the spectacle of Mayweather-McGregor. So I, I sent out a tweet. I don't know if you followed our thing, but it's been getting a lot of likes, and that is that you know May and September are the two biggest months in boxing. Golden Boy knows that this all but assures McGregor-Mayweather is off for this year. And – if you remember, Floyd Mayweather did fight in November once against Ricky Haddon, and that was a and he fought one time in December against Zab Judah. But other than that, he doesn't fight unless it's September or May because he wants to maximize his dollars, and he knows that the Mexicans and the Puerto Rican fans are going to turn in on those dates, Cinco de Mayo and Mexican Independence Day. So. I'm going to say it now. I do not think McGregor and Mayweather happens this year. Do I think it could happen? Yes. And I also heard a rumor from some, from a source that, uh, that Conor McGregor's coach was told to go find him someone to fight at 55 in the UFC, like to make that so that he defends his belt. So who knows what's going to happen, but it's definitely Canelo, Triple G is a bigger fight than, than Mayweather and McGregor. And the early odds, I just looked them up. Triple G is minus 175. Canelo is plus 150. Hmm. Those are the okay. early odds on the fight. So, yeah, that, that's we'll, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised by that. But 
you know, there's a long way to go before September 16th. And uh, let me, there was a question I heard the other day, I believe it was on the Dan Patrick show, uh, talking about this fight, talking about Canelo and Triple G. And the question was posed, September 16th, that was also the date that McGregor and Mayweather were gunning for. Mm -hmm. And it won't happen. I know it won't. But hypothetically speaking, that fight is made for September 16th. Fight's happening. <laughs> They're two pay- offering two pay-per-views at the same time on the same night. Which do you buy? Which do you invest and spend your money on? I know the answer, but I want you to tell everybody else. Triple G <laughs> and Canelo. And it's not, even, it's not even a question. You buy the Triple G long. Canelo and you stream on your computer illegally Mayweather McGregor. <laughs> That's how uh, you do it. I, I agree 100%. I, I would not – put all things considered in that situation, I, there, there's no question which fight I'm going to get more bang for my buck on. And, yeah, you're going to get the spectacle of Mayweather and McGregor. But like you said, you can find that anywhere. But my hard-earned money is going to go toward those hard-earned fighters, and that's going to be Canelo and Triple G. Yeah, and I'm just even the 24-7 – you know, that Mayweather started with De La Hoya and that they, you know, they did a little one with Canelo and Chavez. And you see, you mentioned it maybe 10 minutes ago about he's just the consummate professional, man. The guy, the guy, all the guy does is eat, sleep, and train. And it's very, you know, it's very hard to beat someone. Look at Mayweather. It's very hard to beat somebody when that's all you do. Triple G is guilty of doing the same thing. Andre Ward, guilty of doing the same thing. You know, where you fight like you're broke. That's, I, I heard the best thing that I, I was watching old YouTube videos in preparation for some, some other thing that I'm working on. And uh, I saw an interview with Zab Judah, who was Mayweather's sparring partner for the Pacquiao fight. And they were asking him, what, why is Floyd so good? What makes him so great? And he's like, dude, I thought I trained hard. And then when I started go, coming to get Mayweather ready for Pacquiao, he's like, I didn't even know that there was another level like that. He goes, Floyd fights like he's broke. And that's what makes him great. Great. He fights quote. like he doesn't have a dollar to his, to his name. That is and if you're willing quote. to train like that and sacrifice like that, you can't, you're not going to be beat. And then I was watching, you know, it's really, you should, any of the fans listening or for you, Brandon, go on YouTube. And ever since Mayweather retired, he's been pretty candid with some of the European um, media outlets for his promotion company. But he, he was talking about the punch with Shane Mosley and described moment by moment what he was thinking. He said that there was one fighter and he wouldn't reveal who it was. But he said that after a couple rounds, he went back to the corner and was like, I'm really tired. What the hell's going on here? It's the third round, and I just trained for 12 weeks, and I'm getting tired. And then he had to dig deep, and he ended up winning the fight. He wouldn't say who it was. I'm, I think personally that it was, um, between you and I, I think it was Miguel Cotto. But the, um, it's, it's very interesting, very interesting. And I know Floyd's in shape, and I know he doesn't want to waste this shape. So that's why... September 16th would have been ideal to answer your first question. It would have been an ideal day for them, but I, I just don't see it happening anymore. Unless it again happens in November 
or December, and it's more UFC doing the promoting. Because UFC has big events at the end of the year. We know that. So yeah. that's probably the angle they'd have to sell it from. Um, but, yeah, it's just fantastic uh, fantastic news after a not-so-fantastic pay-per-view is how I would summarize Saturday night. I, I, like I said, I, I agree with that, too. It's just it, you watch the fight, you're a little, little down, a little disappointed. I'll be honest with you, the last uh, two or three rounds, I was just kind of – my attention was diverted a little bit. But, of course, when the fight was over, I wanted to hear what was said. And, and then they brought Triple G in, and it was like, you know, my night was made. Yeah. All right, let's let, let's move on to. Uh, I know that everybody. We kind of just jumped right in. There was no there was no MMA. Um, although we, I did want to address because we haven't really done it a lot. Uh, the the Ultimate Fighter this season at tough. Dillashaw and Garbrandt. You've been watching it, Bragg? I have it. My DVR is full, and uh, I, or I say my DVR is full. I it's, I've, I've recorded uh, all the shows. I've been meaning to sit down and binge watch and. I just haven't gotten around to do it yet. <laughs> it, it's been it's been a pretty good season uh, tonight at ten o'clock. Uh, Spike, check it out. But uh, you you you're really starting to root for Dillashaw. Is how is how I feel like the filming of this season's gone. Dillashaw's team has won all three fights. They're three and zero, and he's kind of conducted himself in a really classy way. Whereas Garbrandt's kind of harping on Dillashaw leaving their camp to go to start his own gym, and he's arguing with Uriah Faber and Garbrandt and all that, and it just kind of makes him look like, and Garbrandt's from Ohio, so it, it kind of makes him, you know, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to be from Ohio with kind of the way he's been acting. Not, not to say that that doesn't, takes anything away from his fighting skill. The man's 11-0. Nine and zero in the UFC or six and zero in the UFC, and you know it's going to be a great fight. I just feel like the way the show's going, that you're kind of I'm kind of root. What I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm kind of rooting for Dillashaw. Yeah, and I've read some um, you know reviews of the show, and and you're right. It's really kind of making a. you know, I don't want to say it's making Garbrandt look out to be the bad guy, but but it is. It, it, I will say he, this. he's kind of playing the heel a little bit. And it's funny you say that because uh, him being from Ohio, you got a guy a tie there. He actually went to college um, at Newberry College, which is about 20 minutes up the road from where I'm living right now in Columbia, mm-hmm. South Carolina. So, and I actually uh, a friend of mine at work, uh, a friend of mine I know that worked with. Uh, he knows a guy who knows Cody and uh, he's actually met him and uh, you know, in and out of college. So it was, uh, we both got ties to him a little bit and we find ourselves, he, he's become one of my favorite fighters to watch because he is so good. He does so well. And leading up to the fight with uh, Dominic Cruz, uh, you know, he had the issue, had the thing with the, uh, the, the kid that, was, was sick that he was really fighting for and all that stuff. And, yeah. you know, he's yeah. a good guy. And we, we all know ed, television editing can do a lot of things. It can show True. you a lot of things that uh, you're not exactly sure. But 
regardless, it, they're, they're creating drama. They're trying to create a uh, feud there where there wasn't necessarily was one. Uh, well, I take that back. There was, there was a feud there. The seeds have already been planted. Now they're just um, adding water and adding sunshine to that, uh, he keeps harping on and calling them a sellout and stuff like that. And it's just like, dude, this was like two years ago. Like, like get over it, man. And even, and I will say that Dillashaw needs to stop drop. He keeps calling them a bitch and you don't call grown men bitch like that. Even in, you watch those like um, 60 days in you, you call somebody a bitch in prison and you're fighting like immediately. Yeah. It's just, um. so I can see where, Garbrandt kind of getting heated after Dillashaw, but I think the way Dillashaw saying bitch is like, you know, you're bitching, not like calling him a bitch. But um, I will say that it was really funny moment. Uh, you'll see it eventually, but uh, Garbrandt was bringing up how he beat Dominic Cruz and how Dillashaw lost. And Dillashaw's like, bro, I won that fight. And, and then one of the members of Garbrandt's team was like, Dillashaw, you won that fight, bro. Like, like even acknowledging, like one of Garbrandt's own <laughs> coaches was like, dude, you won that fight too. So, I just think that Garbrandt's one of these dudes who doesn't really know how to talk shit and is trying to like play that role, and he's getting out coached for sure, and he's starting to get out. You know, he's making himself look bad. So, I think he needs to just stop talking and just do it in the ring. Where he's very well, good. Keep in mind too. I mean, he, uh, you know, he, he's only eleven and zero. He's still a young guy. I think he's what twenty five years old. Uh, so, yeah, you know, he's, self-made. Shaw, he's a self made he, guy. He's, he's self made. So this is the first time. I mean, yeah, he's been coming up through the ranks, and we've we've noticed him for a while, but he's really just been just thrown into the spotlight over the last six months. So, uh, it, it, not to mention. These fights and this show was taped a couple of months back. So, you know, he's probably even grown and matured in the last four or five months since the show started. Uh, so, not making any excuses. Uh, again, I, I haven't seen the show um, in its entirety yet. So, I mean, I'll be able to see that and make my own opinion at that point. But, again, putting two guys who aren't necessarily comfortable or either familiar with being in that setting, you know, it can cause for some uncomfortable situations. And I wouldn't doubt whatsoever that some of that pressure is probably getting to Cody Garbrandt. Absolutely. I know that we were talking about boxing and then going back and forth and people are probably like, Oh God, you forgot your eye of the tiger. No, it's right now. Boxing segment. I'm going to throw in some cowbell. <laughs> All right, it's the boxing segment officially, but there's really no boxing fights. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you about how the biggest fight that we can talk about for this weekend. Ready? You're going to laugh. All right. James Tony against Mike Shepard in Ulysses, in Michigan. Wow, tickets are on this sale, was, folks, and it's a, it's rated fun. on 
it's it's rated on box on boxingrecord.com. They'll rate the fights one to five stars. It's a one star. <laughs> yeah, for, just for the record, I'll go with Shepard. I, I cannot believe this fight's actually taking place. Shepard looks good. <laughs> it's like, a little bit I've seen of him. I mean, he he's legit. I mean, he's a guy who uh, he's one of those opponents. I think Tony's thinking that he should be able to beat. And, you yeah. know, with, with a little bit of talent behind it, but I, <laughs> I don't want to. I will say, I will say this: Shepard's about to turn 42 years old on the 25th of this month. His record is 24 and 20 with 10 knockouts, and he's been knocked out 15 times. So, <laughs> when I meant that he looks good, I meant like if you go and look at his picture and like his physique, he's in shape. He's got a six pack. He, he's a big dude. He's 6'2 with a 75 inch reach. No, this guy's a terrible fighter. Um, James Tony, on the other hand, 10, 72 inch reach. I'm just going back and looking at Tony's record, which, by the way, is a 70-10 with 46 knockouts. And when he does finally decide to hang him up, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Let's, let's make that 100% clear. But. I mean, if you look at all the fighters that this guy has faced and then look at the guys he's faced. Here, l- l- let, me, let me just pick a typical year in James Tony's life for you and just read the names that he fought. Vasali Giroff, Evander Holyfield, John Ruiz, Dominic Gunn, Sam Peter twice, Hasim Rockman twice, Freza Kendo, Roy Jones Jr., Bobby Gunn. Um, this is a Dennis Lebedoff. Like, this is a guy, and now look at his last, you look at his last seven fights, Lucas Brown, Kenny Lemos, Matt Legg, Jason Gavron, Charles Ellis. I think they pulled him out of a hotel in Missouri and Mike Shepard now. And, to- and, and Tony's three and three in his last. So I'm going with James Tony. I, I tried to make it sound good. I, what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Just, just, just for shits and giggles, I'll say Mike Shepard. <laughs> All right. Do we could be talking. I'll, I'll say this. If Mike Shepard wins, I'm going to try to get a hold of his phone number so we can call him. I will show <laughs> and congratulate this guy because you're, you're beating a Hall of Famer. But anyways, what I wanted to do with this boxing segment, I I told you, uh, alluded to it so much in my email, is that I kind of wanted to take a look ahead, since we got the week off, really, with boxing, to some of the upcoming fights that are going to be taking place in the next month. We'll start with Terrence Crawford next Saturday in New York against Felix Diaz, defending both of his 140-pound belts. Bragg, this is a good fight, but... Could this be the last time we see Crawford at 140 pounds, or do you think that he'll stay there in the hopes that Vasily Lomachenko and him could meet in maybe a year? You know, it really just depends. Uh, I, I have my doubts. Uh, I, I feel like he might be moving a little bit, but uh, that that uh, Lomachenko fight, it's a big fight for him, and it's a it's a big time draw that could be done. We make a lot of money, so and we all know money talks. We'll see. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be 
it, it's going to be an interesting um, opinion. I mean, I've heard from Jim Lampley that Vasali Lomachenko actually admitted that against Terrence Crawford, he would be outsized. That he knows that as good as he is, that that's a fight that he would really have to, um, you know, he's going to have to make some uh, some some adjustments because everything's been pretty easy for him outside of that cheap shotted fight with uh, Salido in his second fight ever. You know, who fights Orlando Salido in your second fight for a title? <laughs> I mean, for real. <laughs> <laughs> that's like me saying that's like me saying I'm gonna go put on the gloves and just get in the ring with Tyson. You know, just yeah. to see what's up. I mean <laughs> Fought one fight, I'm ready. what was what how did uh how did he do how did Lamachica do in that first fight? And what was the result? I'm assuming he won. He won by knockout in the third round in his first fight, and then against Salido he lost a split decision. And how many rounds was that fight? That went all twelve. So, so not only were you stepping up to fight a champion in your second fight, uh, you've never been out of the third round in a professional fight. Normally, by that you're only going three rounds. <laughs> but he did. But he did have an amateur record of 400 with one loss. Yeah, I mean, oh. experience-wise, you know, he, he was right there. But and here's yeah. the funniest thing about here's the funniest thing about all that: the guy that beat him, he beat 19 times. <laughs> 20th time's <laughs> charm. Isn't that the funniest? I mean, oh we God. said it was gonna. We said it was gonna be a fun show. All right, moving on on Showtime. The antithesis to, or Antigua, and and yeah, antithesis to the show HBO is there is Showtime, and that's gonna have Gary Russell against Oscar Kendon for Russell's WBC featherweight title on the same night. So, and then Andre Durrell will be on the undercard fighting for an interim IBF super middleweight title. So it could be, um, it's going to be a nice little night of boxing. And then if that wasn't enough from London earlier in the day, Liam Walsh is going to be fighting Gravanta Davis for Davis's IBF junior lightweight title on Showtime. So, so next, uh, Next Saturday is going to be a really big night of boxing. Let's jump ahead now to May 27th, Bragg, on Showtime. I'm excited about this fight. Sheffield, England, Kell Brook against Errol Spencer for Brook's IBF welterweight title. Huge fight. Yeah, that is. That's going to be a really good fight. And uh, I'm looking forward to actually previewing that because that's a fight that Really, at this point, I could I wouldn't be comfortable making the decision either way. Yeah, I mean Mayweather Mayweather has uh, invested a lot of money and time in Errol Spence and kind of called him the heir apparent. So this is going to be you know of course Kell Brook stepped up and and gave uh, Triple G a pretty good fight until they till his corner threw in the towel because of the cut. Had the cut not happened, that could have been a different fight. Kell Brook won two rounds out of the five that he fought. So that could give Canelo a little bit of hope on the 16th then. But uh, that's going to be a great fight on the undercard. you got George Groves, who's only fought twice since Carl Frock knocked him out cold in his last fight. 
and he's going to be taking on Fedor Chudinov for the WBA super middleweight title that Carl Frock vacated when he retired. And speaking of Orlando Salido, he'll be fighting in Mexico against Amphon Sirio, and that's just going to be a 10-round uh, junior lightweight fight. But you know Salido's going to have a big fight coming up after that one, so we'll keep you posted. Let's get into the month of June now. June 3rd, Craig, June's going to be the month of big men. This is going to be the make-or-break month, I think, where we're going to be trying to get some interviews and really, we're going to have Al on the show to talk about these two fights I'm about to mention. First, in Montreal, Showtime calling it June 3rd, Adonis Stevenson, the lineal light heavyweight champion of the world, takes on Andrazi Fanfara, the man that beat Julio Cesar Chavez, knocked him out when he moved up to light heavyweight. This is a rematch. Uh, they fought a long time ago, and it was a close fight that went 12 rounds. As a matter of fact, I believe Fanfara dropped Stevenson at one point in the fight, and then Stevenson dropped him. So this should be a give-or-take fight. On the undercard, John Pasquale will fight Eldner Alvarez in a, you know, just a co-main event tune-up kind of thing. But uh, we could, we talked about this before the Anthony Joshua fight, I told you that my two wishes for this year in boxing were, well, three, that we would get Canelo and Triple G, we got it, that Joshua would beat Klitschko setting up a showdown with DeAndre Wilder by the end of the year. We talked about that with the tournament and possibly whatever. And the third one was that Adonis Stevenson wins and so does Andre Ward, and we see that fight at the end of the year for the real light heavyweight championship. Bragg, how exciting is this Stevenson-Fonfara fight? And do you think that if Stevenson wins, we could get that dream fight against Ward or Kovalov? Uh, I think it's very possible. Stevenson, of course, is a different fighter. Uh, he's a better fighter than he was. And he's, you know, he's found knockout power, and he's been doing it early in fights, too. So, will that happen? Yeah, he's got in his left hand. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, is that is that going to happen? I'm not sure yet, uh, but I, I think it really could. I, I think the winner of Borg Kovalov in this next fight, I think it would be a, uh, a very natural fight to make, assuming Adana Stevenson gets uh, gets done uh, with uh, with that fight that he's got coming up. And I mean, it, again, and I don't want to jinx it. And I'm probably going to, and I hope not. I pray I don't. But uh, <laughs> you know, this this second half of this year is lighting up to be huge, and we're getting oh, a lot boy. of fights. <laughs> All so, right. Uh, yeah, June cut 17th. me off before I say something. <laughs> yeah, June 17th, Vegas, HBO pay per view, the rematch: Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalov, 12 rounds for Andre Ward's. WBO, IBF, and WBA light heavyweight titles. Ward's got every title except for the one that matters, and that's the dub, the, the Ring Magazine and the WBC that Stevenson has. But, um, I mean, you know how I feel about Ward. I think he's the best fighter in the world that's not Floyd Mayweather. And um, I put my money where my mouth was and won 7000 on Ward against Kovalev. I don't think I'll be making that same bet in the rematch 
let's just leave it at that and we'll let that marinate. But um, on the undercard of that fight, Bragg, we get Guillermo Rigondeau for the first time in a meaningful fight against Moses Flores at junior featherweight. That will actually be a pretty good fight. I'm interested to see Rigondeau. He really hasn't fought anyone since he was able to dispatch uh, Nonito maybe four or five years ago. He's just been, he, he can't get a big fight. He's not Mark. I mean, this is a guy that at one point we had him ranked fourth pound for pound in the world. And now he's 10 kind of falling into obscurity. So uh, that'll be interesting to see how that goes down. Yeah, it is. It it would be. And, you know, and it's unfortunate that he has slipped in the rankings because it really hasn't been anything of his doing. It's just, uh, like you said, he just hasn't been able to get those big fights. And, but this will be a nice showcase for him. You know, being on the undercard undercard of that fight uh, with Ward Kovalov, it's definitely going to be a showcase for him. It may be able to put him back in the spotlight and, uh, you know, hopefully he can do something with it. Absolutely. And then, of course, July 1st, we get in Australia, Manny Pacquiao against Jeff Horn for Pacquiao's WBO welterweight title. Bragg, is this a fight that anyone even cares about? I don't think so because, I mean, it really hasn't been talked about. And then when you look at the lineup we, we did, that we just discussed, uh, it, it's a fight that's really getting lost in the shuffle. And it's a fight. I told you when it was first announced few weeks back I, something it feels something feels weird about this fight man I just um, I've not been high right. on Pacquiao for a couple of years and yeah. it just it feels like a trap I remember you saying that now that you thought Jeff Horn fight it was kind of like why and then like maybe Pacquiao's overlooking I'm looking at Jeff Horn's record he's seen you know one draw with 11 knockouts he doesn't have any names. None of 16 fighters are there's a, there's no name on there. But 29 years old, and he's 5'9", so he's going to have three inches in height on Pacquiao. But the reach is only one inch difference. But but he is from Australia, so he's going to be fighting hometown. I think kind of that's why Pacquiao, for tax purposes, has been fighting outside of the United States. And so this is probably another good way for him to not pay a lot of taxes, fight, get his brand in another continent, and uh, take on a guy who is, you know, the, the, the younger son, so to speak, of Australia, Brisbane. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe it could happen. I mean, I, I might be picking Jeff Horn. I don't know yet. We'll see. But, uh, and then we got, I'm, I'm moving down the list, and that is, oh, Shane Mosley. September 9th is fighting Magomed Kurabanov. We already talked about that in Russia. And I was like, why? Dude, it was so funny. I'm listening to an interview on YouTube. And it was Shane Mosley being asked about the punch he landed on Mayweather. And then also who he thought could give Mayweather the best fight if he comes back for number 50. Who do you think he said could give Mayweather the best fight? <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's something to, something to do with sugar. Yeah, yeah, Shane Mo <laughs> Shane Mosley. <laughs> you know, the thing that this reminds me of, no, the the the, the, the guy that was interviewing him too was kind of like, really, like like you think it's you? 
Like, we just wanted to talk about that one time when you landed the punch and then you got beat for 30 minutes straight. Yeah. Um, that fight was that actually was also, on uh, Fox Sports 2 uh, the other night. They actually replayed that fight. And it was, uh, you know, it was exciting to watch, uh, mostly uh, get that get in on Mayweather and stun him a little bit. And then, it, like you said, it was just downhill from there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was just uh, – it was interesting because remember I was I, I was I told you earlier in the show that I watched I was watching some some YouTube stuff for another project that um, I'll tell you about in a month or two but um, it was interesting that Mayweather was recalling when he got hit with that punch and he said because you and I went back and watched the fight and you can see Mayweather say something to him after the second one lands like the first one he's like oh okay said he wasn't really that hurt. The second one, he was like, okay. And then you see him getting to Mosley's ear, and he said what he said. He told Shane, he goes, okay, that was a good punch, but you're going to have to kill me in here to win. And from that point on, he shut Shane out. 30, 30 minutes, 10 rounds to zero. Um, Mosley landed 30 punches in the first two rounds, landed 30 punches the rest of the fight. Unbelievable. It is. I mean, it's just, and that's what Mosley said at the end of the interview after, you know, the guy basically laughed when he said him, but he said that Mayweather's one of those guys that he's a throwback, you know, like he doesn't fight in the traditional style now that young fighters are fighting. Mayweather's, you know, an expert at what he does and he doesn't change anything. So it was very, uh, it was very interesting. And, um, but yeah, so Mosley's going to be back. And then of course we got triple G Canelo, on September 16th. And that I believe is all, that's all the boxing that we have so far, but those last three months, who knows who could fill those dates, Bragg? Is there a fight that we didn't name or a fighter who you think is going to fight at the end of the year that you want to see in that September through December open dates? Well, I think uh, we talked about it last week. Besides uh, Mayweather. Right, yeah, I think we talked about last week the opportunity and the options they have with the heavyweight title, uh, you know, with Anthony Joshua uh, winning that. And, of course, you've got, I guess, Klitschko does have a rematch clause. They haven't announced whether that was going to happen yet or not. But then you've got Deontay Wilder in the wings. You've got Joseph Parker. You know, you've got a lot of heavyweights uh, setting up for the end of the year. So, I, we didn't really discuss them this week. We talked about them last week, but... I think that heavyweight uh, division and the heavyweight pitcher is one that I'm really excited about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mike Tyson was asked what he thought about the fight with Klitschko and with what, and Tyson said that he thinks that Anthony Joshua is the kind of guy that if he stays focused could beat anybody, including he said that he thinks he's too much for Wilder right now. He said that Wilder probably needs a couple more fights against better competition. Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury, on the other hand, responded and said that he believes that Joshua struggled. Obviously, he was knocked down, almost knocked out, but then got up. And Tyson was like, when I fought Klitschko, I toyed with him like a cat and a mouse. So they're trying to get a Tyson Fury Anthony Joshua fight the way that you and I thought it should go down. Those two fight, you have Wilder fight Parker, and then the winners meet. 
to find out who the best in the world is. I, I, I would definitely be down for that. That would be a great, great, uh, uh, great event. And you know what they could do? What, what I would love to see do, of course, it's the two UK guys and the two United States guys. Um, and that those will be HBO fights, correct? Y- yes. All right. Then there's a reason why you couldn't have a double header on a Saturday. Oh, you know what? Saturday. You know night. what, Greg? Greg, I'm I, I'm mistaken. Uh, Deontay Wilder fights on Showtime. Okay. Well, regardless, you you can still do that. What, what a double header well, that done, would be. They've done cross promotions. Exactly, yeah. exactly. A double header, you know, late in the afternoon in the United States, you could have your uh, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua fight, and then you flip on over to Showtime and you get Deontay Wilder and Joseph Parker. Uh, you have them on the same day. It could be a huge afternoon for boxing. It's going to be coming off of the high, which is going to be, hopefully, uh, Canelo and Triple G. Uh, I, I think you, if they build it correctly and if HBO and Showtime were to work together on that, I believe you could really get a huge promotional push. And once again, it's the heavyweight title. It's the heavyweight division. It's the, it's the title in sports. It wouldn't be hard to do, and I, and I think uh, it would be very exciting for the fans and for the world of boxing. Absolutely. And again, it's just one of those – it's just one of those fights that – I should say two fights. It's it's a round robin of sorts, a little mini tournament that really should be made. If uh, of all the divisions that they could put a tournament together to find the real champion, the heavyweight division did it 30 years ago successfully that culminated with Michael Spinks against Mike Tyson for all the titles. Two undefeated fights. It didn't work out so good for Spinks, but <laughs> You know, but, it's, it's, but it so obvious, it, it's so obvious, it's so easy to do, that chances are it probably won't happen, unfortunately. Yeah, and you could have a lot of them um, because, the, because of the whole, like, cross-continent, different promoters. You could, you could maybe run into some, some issues with uh, the tie. Remember, that tournament lasted three years with uh, – with Tyson and all those guys because of, you know, you can't, you can't fight every month. You know, it's not like a tournament for real. You got to wait three, four months in between. So, you know, it could, it could, uh, the super six though worked out pretty well. Oh, absolutely. It did. That was huge. And if they were to, and I talked about this before and I predicted that we're on the cusp of another boxing, uh, revolution and, uh, on a, brightening of the boxing landscape and uh, something like super six again held right now, you know, maybe even starting right now or later in the year or a heavyweight tournament like that could really be something that puts boxing back on the map and back into the spotlight uh, of the sporting pages. Because like I told you before, I really love the fu- what boxing has right now. I love the future, um, especially the near future and even the future beyond the next year or so. Uh, I think boxing is on the cusp of a resurgence, and I'm really excited about it, and they could be able to do things like little tournaments like that. I think it's the right time to hit. Yeah, and I mean, again, it can be 
you know, it can be what you want it to be. The fights are going to be there. The fans will be there if you give them the fights. Look at the UFC. I mean, they put out a pay-per-view sometimes twice a month, once a month, but they put the best fighters. So even if they have an off night, you know you're still going to see one good fight, maybe two. So it's not that big of a deal. And I think boxing's pay-per-views need to start getting better. They need to start getting stacked. There needs to be two. Go ahead. I was going to say, and you started seeing that a little more often now. You know, just look at last week's uh, fight, of course, headlined by Canelo and Chavez Jr., but you had Lucas Satise, who is a, you know, is a great fighter who headlines, you know, the HBO shows. You know, he, a lot of these cards are being built up from the, you know, from the bottom up, and uh, it's, it's a blueprint that the UFC has done very well. Uh, we're going to be talking about a card coming up this weekend in a few minutes that's that's pretty well stacked from top to bottom. And I think boxing is taking a page out of that. And, and you're, you're go, I think you're going to see that more often. And I think it's something that's only going to be great for boxing. Yeah, I mean, and we, we spoke about Klitschko earlier because he might have – he does have that rematch clause. I'm looking up to see if there's any news – Klitschko has been saying he was two or three punches away from victory and that you could even see a trilogy with Aren't that. Aren't we all two or three punches away? I know, right? But, <laughs> I mean, I just don't – here's my take on this. I know that he wants – I know he wants a rematch. He might, we, he might get one. I don't know. I'm hoping Peyton Han, his wife, can be like, you know, you're done. You, you got nothing left to prove. But – Joshua's seen him now. You know what I mean? I don't think – I think he knows that this is the kind of guy that you can bombard early. He waited till the fifth round, and then he wore himself out. He won't punch himself out in the next one. And I, unfortunately, see Klitschko not getting up in the fifth round or fourth round, whatever it happens if they have a rematch. I don't want to see him fight again. That's my opinion. It was a great fight. It was a close fight. I can see the competitiveness in him being like, I could have beat any other man on the planet this night, except for this dude who's that much younger because he's in such good shape. But I don't think it's going to work out for him the same way that it did in the first fight. When did, uh, refresh my memory, and I'll make my point once you uh, confirm what I'm thinking. When did Vladimir Klitschko win the heavyweight title? The first time or the second time? The first time, his first the first time he won it. The first time he won it was in 2000. The second time he won it was in 2004. So far, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. The first time he won it was 2003. He lost it in 2004, and then he won it again in 2007. So he held the title for almost 10 years. So essentially, Vladimir Klitschko has been at the top, if not the top, heavyweight boxer in the world for 14 years. For, the whole, pretty, for basically most of the century. That is yeah. a pretty damn good run. Vladimir Klitschko has nothing left to prove. He is a surefire well, and, Hall of Famer. And you got to remember, too, he made 18 defenses, which is the third longest in the history of the heavyweight division, only to Larry Holmes' 20 two and uh what's his fate uh joe lewis is 25 
So he's got nothing to prove. No, he, no, he doesn't. And it, it, a fight like that one against Anthony Joshua, to me, and of course, I, I, I'm not Vladimir Klitschko. I, I, I don't know what he's thinking, but if you look at it realistically, if you take a step back, yeah, you may have been able to beat him after, with one or two more shots. Uh, you may be able to beat um, eight of the other top ten fighters in the heavyweight division right now. But you couldn't beat him then. Not sure if you'll be able to beat him the next time. Would you rather go out on a, a, on a great fight that was close, or would you rather uh, be embarrassed, get knocked out, and, and uh, end your career that way? That might, you know, that, that's a possibility. Now, anything, if he comes back, gets his rematch, it could be turned right around and he could win a decision. Or he couldn't land those extra two or three shots and win the fight. Well, ne- we, we may never know. But a- as a fan and as an analyst of sorts for, on the Ultimate Fight Show, I'm looking at it as Vladimir Klitschko has done everything he could do. There's nothing else to prove. I, I think this is where he needs to walk away because you don't want to end up like guys like James Tony, Bernard Hopkins, Evander Holyfield, those guys like that. You don't want to Roy overstay Jones. Your welcome. Roy Jones. You don't want to overstay your welcome. You don't want to go out on your back. He's got an opportunity to walk away on his feet with his head held high and Godspeed to him. I, I wish him nothing but the best. Absolutely. All right, let's transition. we got about 20 minutes left here. Let's talk about UFC 211 in Dallas, where which could be the site of Triple G and Canelo on September 16th. This card had been really stacked with Verdum against Rothwell. That is scratched. And wasn't Cain Velasquez also supposed to fight on this card? I don't know if it was ever made official, but I believe, yes, he was targeted to yeah. fight on this card so, as well. So it took a little bit of a hit. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. It was Cain Velasquez against Verdum. Velasquez pulls out. They bring in Rothwell, and then Rothwell gets hurt. That's what happened. So can't, can't argue with injuries. They happen here and there. We got six good fights on this main card. Let's start with the former 155-pound champion, Eddie Alvarez, 28-5, against Dustin Poyer, 21-5. Both of these fighters are ranked respectively by the Ultimate Fight Show. How do you see this one going down, Bragg? Has has Eddie's chin recovered from the shellacking it took when he was giving falling down lessons by Connor? (laughs) Yeah, and it'll probably be tested again Saturday night because Dustin Poirier does have heavy hands, especially for that lightweight division. Uh, you know, I'll be back and forth on this fight. I really think Eddie Alvarez is talented enough and has the skill to outlast Dustin Poirier by decision, but I'm going the other way here. I think Dustin Poirier does land the shot. I think he does hurt him. I think Alvarez is not able to cover, and I think Dustin Poirier – uh, finishes Eddie Alvarez late in the second round. Wow. That's a big – I mean, I like Poirier. I, I, I've liked him ever since I watched that documentary on him that he had on HBO and Netflix a couple years before he was in the UFC. It culminated with him be getting into the UFC. 
um, but it didn't have any of his fights in there. Eddie Alvarez has just always been one of those dudes who he beats all the guys he's supposed to beat, and then against the creme de la creme, he, he's about 50-50. So, but at 33 years old, he's going to be the smaller man. You look at some of his losses. He lost to Cerrone. Then he came back with a win against Melendez by split decision, a win against Pettis by split decision, the knockout against Dos Anjos, and then, of course, he got knocked out by McGregor. But this is a guy that can get it done. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe that Eddie's got one more. You know, I'm going to say Eddie Alvarez by split decision. And I think Eddie Alvarez, the key to Alvarez winning this fight is going to be to take it to distance to grind out that decision. Boyer is a good wrestler as well, which is Eddie Alvarez. He's a submission. Butter. He's a very good submission fighter. Yes, he is. So uh, it's going to be a good fight. Uh, I really do think that. And I, I can't argue with your statement whatsoever. I, I like Eddie Alvarez a lot. Um, you know, we, we could uh, we could be one one or one against each other starting off. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Sergio Pettis the little brother, against Henry Cejudo. This is a flyweight fight at 125 with tight implications for Demetrius Johnson if he chooses to stay at this weight class to make his 11th defense, which we all believe he will. Uh, Cejudo's 10-2, only two losses are to Ben Badia's and Demetrius Johnson. There's no shame in any of that. Sergio Pettis is 15-2. and two. I'm going to have to look up who his two losses are to. He lost to Ryan Benoit, and he lost to someone else before he was in the UFC, and I don't feel like clicking back to find it. So, <laughs> you know, lost, though. He's got a two-inch height advantage. This is one of those fights, Bragg, where is it going to be the striker in Pettis, or is it going to be the wrestler in Cahuto? Who do you got? I, I like Cahuto in this fight. I, I think he is the overall better fighter. Uh, while Pettis may have a striking advantage, I don't think it's going to be overwhelmingly um, that much. I think Cejudo could get this fight to the ground. I think he can do some damage. And I, I think Pettis survives, but I think it's going to be a unanimous decision victory for Henry Cejudo. Yeah, I'm also going the same way. Uh, featherweight, we got the answer. Frankie Edgar, 21-5 and five against Yar Rodriguez, who's 10-1. and one. This is a featherweight fight. Bragg, not a lot about – I mean, we know everything about Frankie that we need to know. One of the best fighters of all time, first ballot Hall of Famer when he retires, two-division champion um, – or, I mean, I'm sorry, one, one two-time champion at lightweight, been in two title fights at featherweight, hasn't been able to get it done against Jose. But um, – Let's talk about Yul uh, Rodriguez for the fans. Now, this is a guy who, if you remember, he's the guy that knocked out B.J. Penn in January. He also beat Bruce Leroy by split decision. And then the rest of his resume is a little spotty. But uh, at five foot eleven, Bragg, he's going to have five inches on Frankie. And he has a 71-inch reach compared to Frankie's reach, which I believe is... 68 inches. So, three inches in reach, five inches in height, and he's younger and fresher. Does this smell upset? Do, do we, could we have an upset here? Who do you got? Yeah, I, 
I think we could, honestly. This could be very similar to the uh, Alvarez-Boyer fight. Uh, you mentioned the height advantage. Rodriguez will be, I think I read this this afternoon, Rodriguez will be the tallest fighter Eddie Alvarez, or Frankie Edgar has ever faced. Uh, the, 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 ta- the height difference is the tallest, um, which is an interesting point. Like you said, Rodriguez will have to reach advantage as well. Got a lot of power, especially for that flyweight, for, uh, for the featherweight division. I love Frankie Edgar. I'm almost rooting for him to win this fight and continue running, but he's the favorite. Rodrig- he he is the favorite. Um, I, I think I'm picking Rodriguez in this fight, man. I, I think he is able to outpoint Edgar. I don't think he's going to uh, get him in a position where he's going to finish him, but I think he outpoints him. I think he's able to keep him at distance, uh, keep Edgar's wrestling at bay, and I think he wins a, a, a UD. I think he gets the job done, does enough to beat Frankie Edgar. Yeah. My dad always said B-I-G don't spell bad. So if this is the biggest guy Frankie's ever fought, I got to have the – I, I got to feel that because he's such a student of the game that he's brought in bigger sparring partners, bigger guys to roll with. Frankie's footwork may be the best in MMA. I mean, the way he gets in and out, I'll take that back. Demetrius Johnson's probably the best now, but in his prime, Frankie Edgar was the best. I, I He's got a little bit left. I think he wants one more shot at a title. So I'm going to go with Frankie Edgar in a close, unanimous decision, two rounds to one. Is there anybody in the world, in the, in the UFC, that could care less about a height advantage than Frankie Edgar? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think he does. I don't. I, I, no, maybe he even I mean, he fought. I mean, he fought the skyscraper. So, yeah. And got well. He got beat though. All right, let's move on. Damian Maya, twenty-four and six against Jorge Masvidal, thirty-two and eleven. This is a fight where you know a lot of people have said that Damian Maya, when's he going to get his shot? When's he going to get his title shot? You know, he fought Anderson Silva at middleweight and lost. Never – no, did he fight GSP? I don't believe he has, no. I believe he may yeah, have been in think... line and GSP ended up retiring. Yeah. So, I mean, he's never – he hasn't got that shot at welterweight that's been so elusive. I think we all can agree that Damian Maia is probably the best jiu-jitsu fighter in the world that's in the UFC. So – I got to go with Damian. I don't think he's going to let this one get get by him. I'm going to go with Maya by submission in the second round. Um, I, I'm I'm behind you as well. I think Maya Jiu-Jitsu is head and shoulders above almost everybody else in the world. Uh, Masvidal, he's a good fighter. He just beat Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, he's on a bit of a streak right now. He's got power, and he but I, Damian Maya is just too damn good. Uh, with his grappling and his jiu-jitsu. I think he gets the job done in the second round as well. Submission. Yeah. All right. Co-main event. We're going to have to uh, we're gonna have to hit buffer up twice because we got two title fights here, ladies and gentlemen. And we'll just do one for both. This is the moment UFC fans around the world have been waiting for. It's time! 
It is time. <laughs> Jessica Andrade, 16 and 5, ranked number four by the Ultimate Fight Show, taking on the champion, Joanna Jenchechek, 13 and 0, making her fifth defense of the strawweight title. Bragg, she's one of the best strikers in the world. We saw against Karolowski in her last fight that she can get stunned looking for the takedown. She got hit with an uppercut that that rocked her, probably would have finished most other fighters. She was able to weather the storm and still win the decision. Jessica Andrade is a beast on the ground. I saw her fight live in Cleveland in September when Stipe won. And uh, this is a really close fight. I'm having a hard time. I'm I'm not going to go against Joanna. She's my girl in the ring. So, um, and my wife's name's Jessica. That's kind of funny. But my grandma's name was Joanna. Yeah, but my grandma's name was Joanna. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's back and forth, but I'm going to go with Jenny's uh, check. I think she gets it done by, uh, I think she's going to knock her out, actually. I think I think the wrestler's going to get caught coming in by the striker. This fight, I think, is going to be a microcosm, a very smaller scale to how Dan Henderson and Anderson Silva went all those years ago, where I wouldn't be surprised if Jessica comes out, is able to take Joanna down, kind of stun her, and then she's going to Start once that rhythm starts, and you know what I'm talking about. Once you start feeling it, the leather moving, you're warmed up, you got a lather going, you're going to be harder to grab onto, harder to submit. And if this is a striking battle, she can outstrike any female in the world. So that I'm going to go with Joanna by knockout in the third round. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting fight to watch and, and to pick as well. Uh, we talked about it a week or so ago when we talked about each champion's weakness. And Joanna's biggest weakness, as we said, is her grappling, her takedowns. Um, Andrade, that's that's her bread and butter. That's what she is good at. But Jessica Andrade may be, as great as Joanna is, Jessica Andrade may be the better all-around fighter in this fight. However, Joanna is so good at standing up. I agree with you, and I, I see it really the same way. Andrade may have some early success. I'm sure Joanna has been working on her takedown defense, has been working on her grappling. She's one of those fighters that is so good, so talented, that she's going to be able to absorb that knowledge and adapt uh, just as well as anybody's going to be able to. I think you see an improvement in her uh, grappling game here. She might get taken down by the superior Andrade, but I don't think she's going to be able to be held down and dominated like Jessica may want to do. I see Joanna getting uh, getting this fight a little later. I used to the third round. I was going with the fourth round. Championship rounds. Andrade may get a little tired. I think Joanna takes advantage of it and gets, stops her in the fourth round. <clears throat> All right, and now it's the main event. We're not, you know what? Just because it's Steve Bay and it's Cleveland, we'll we'll we'll, we'll let Buffer do it again. This is the moment UFC fans around the world have been waiting for. It's time. Cleveland it is gets 
couple of winners, and you guys just think you're the biggest thing in the world, don't you? <laughs> you got to defend the land. All right. Um, let's uh, real quick though. Uh, uh, Chase Chad is only a minus one seventy five favorite, so this is the closest an odds has been in her fight. Reiterating what you said in your summary that Jessica Andrade might be the best all around fighter that Joanna's ever faced, and Vegas agrees. Um, Stipe's minus 140, Junior's plus 120. They're both 6'4, both 265, Junior's 18 and 4, Stipe 16 and 2. Like, I want to hear your take on this fight first, and then I'll, you know, come in second since he is from my hometown. Yeah, Junior Dos Santos always been one of my favorite fighters to watch. I don't think you could argue the fact that he has been and may be one of the purest boxers in the heavyweight division of mixed martial arts. Uh, Stipe Maosic is pretty damn good at that as well. Junior Santos has not been the same fighter since he fought Cain Velasquez and lost to him twice in a row. Got destroyed by him twice in a row. And it's a shame because Dos Santos he doesn't. He hasn't really seemed to evolve in that he hasn't become a better all-around fighter like a lot of these other fighters have. Stepe Miocic is a great all-around fighter. He can box. He can wrestle. I don't think. I think he's going to be too much for Junior Dos Santos here. I know a popular pick, even though Dos Santos is the underdog here. I've been reading online. He has been a popular pick to beat Stepe this weekend. I don't see it. I can't go with it. I think Stevie Maosic is able to keep his distance. I believe he's able to uh, touch Junior's jaw, which is, is suspect. I don't care what anybody says. Junior's jaw is not the same as it used to be. I think Stevie touches him late in the first round, maybe early to the mid the second round. I think he does the job early. I think he puts Junior Dos Santos out. And I think Stipe Miocic is still the world heavyweight champion. Yeah, this is um, – I'm looking over Dos Santos' record. And since that loss to Cain of Velasquez, the first time he lost his title, which was December 29, 2012, Shingano, as they call him, Jr., has only fought time in five years. This is going to be his seventh fight Let's look at who he fought. He lost to Velasquez, comes back, knocks out Mark Hunt, which is real tough to do. Loses again to Velasquez in a fight that they should have probably stopped in round two. No one's doubting how tough Junior is. But, yeah, his jaw can't be the same after a fight like that. I mean, he looked like the elephant man. He looked like Sloth from Goonies at the end of that fight. Um. He comes back in a real close split decision that I thought Stipe won, even though on the show I picked Junior on our show. He loses then to Overeem by knockout in a fight where he had Overeem hurt, and then he beats Ben Rothwell by decision. Now let's look at the other end of the equation. We know Stipe loses to Junior in a close fight that, again, I thought Steve won, 
And then what does he do after that? He rips off four wins in a row. Mark Hunt by out in the fifth. Andre Arlowski in the first round by knockout. Fabricio Verdum in the first round by knockout. Alistair Overeem, I was there in the first round by knockout after getting hurt. So three first round knockouts in a row. Now let's get to the history aspect. We talked about it a few times on the show, and every time I bring it up, they're like, the way I've won at least $20 and had seven drinks off me when I found out that they were wrong, that no heavyweight has ever defended the title more than once in the history of the UFC. Ever. Steve with a win, will become the winningest heavyweight in the history of MMA. He's also the city behind him. Also got the courage and strength now and the development. And at the same time, Chingano hasn't been fighting. It's, he's chinny now. So, yeah, I agree with you that on Saturday night, I think it's going to happen in round one. I think it's going to happen early. And uh, I see Stipe Miocic and still champion of the world Saturday night. No, I can't can't argue with you. I think the resume, especially uh, over the last few years, speaks for itself. Uh, I was honestly – now, I know it wasn't the fight they were gunning for, but I honestly – was surprised and a little stunned that Gina Dos Santos got the title shot. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Stipe, he, he's improved and has gotten, a lot, gotten better and evolved as a fighter since that Gina uh, Dos Santos split decision loss. That could have went either way. Could have went Stipe's way easily. Um, Stipe is the best heavyweight in the world right now. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, Ginger will come to fight, but I don't think it'll take long, like we said. Yeah, and here's the thing, too. I mean, I had an article I sent you the other day, and I think I put it on our Twitter. But, uh, it was an article written by uh, Jonathan uh, Snowden, not to be confused with the spy or the guy that committed treason. But uh, this guy worked for uh, Feature Report and did the 20 heavyweight MMA history. It was a really good article. And he's got Steve Iostic right now. Ranked number nine overall, and he and he has Junior Dos Santos ranked the third best ever behind Emelianenko. Or I'm sorry, he's got him ranked the fourth best ever behind Binag, Emelianenko, and Cain Velasquez. So it's there. I mean, Chinano in this fight. Don't throw. Overeem was able to hurt Stipe, but he recovered nicely and was able to, you know, finish the job. Just think that he knows Chingano's arguably the best of the heavyweight division besides Stipe, and he's a southpaw. So I think he's going to want to get in there and get him out of there early instead of Chingano, like you said. I think it's just going to happen a little earlier. So uh, it should be real fun to watch. Yeah, the whole show top to bottom – Looks really good. Uh, it's maybe the best card we've seen in a, quite a few months from the UFC. So uh, very excited to have the UFC back. 
and looking forward to seeing how it goes down and see what we've got to uh, talk about next week. Absolutely. Um, those of you listening and Bragg was telling me like a moron, I was speaking into my phone forgetting that computer. So that's why I'm not, that's why you, I was muzzled or muffled because I was talking into my phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, it, 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 uh, it, I had a hard I, I boxed today at the gym actually, and I had a really hard, hard workout trying to get rid of some of this uh, uh, winter fat for the summer. So uh, I'm a little tired right now, but no excuse. But that's we got 90 seconds left. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, just, you know, always good catching up with you. Make sure you check out Brag Out Loud uh, once again. Elsie, I promise you, I'm going to get with you. I, I know what I want to do with this show f- for you. Uh, in the next few weeks, I want to get that recorded and get that uploaded. It's going to be something completely different from what you hear on the Ultimate Fight Show. A lot more personal, a lot more in-depth about Elsie and myself. Uh, really looking forward to doing that with you. I hope you're going to be available and we're definitely going to get that done soon. Absolutely. I just want to leave and close on this. I was talking to Bragg at the top hour. Um, the perfect game, folks. Uh, 250,000 baseball major league games have been played since 1876, and only 23 have been perfect games by pitchers. Really amazing feat. You should watch the E60, download, check it out. It was just uh, really, really interesting to watch. And, uh, you really feel for guys when they do it. Um, but that's our show. So on behalf of the brand, I'm your host, LC. Stopping by for another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night. Are you ready? Ladies.